We're going to start and we're going to launch into a new series. Um, I believe this is going to be significant for us as we make a few transition um, sort of steps over the next few months. Um, as you know, the 1st of November, we're moving to, to mornings, and that's going to obviously just shift us around a little bit and just finding our, our, our bearings in and through all of that. So we're starting in Nehemiah, and we're in chapter 1, because that's a good place to start. Um, and uh, we're going to just read um, just the first chapter, and then we're going to just have a little look and see what God is, is saying in and through that. So uh, um, let's just read. It says, Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, The word of Nehemiah, son of Hakilia, probably said wrong, thank you, <coughs> um, in, the, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and, dis and, and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O oh God. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and obey his commands. Let your ears be attentive to your, let ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you give your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Father, we want to commit this, this, this book, these words to you, Lord. And, and, uh, and Father, just pray, God, that you'd open our hearts, open our ears, Lord our minds, Lord, just to hear you speak in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 I wonder how you react when you face a rather difficult or, or, or perhaps challenging situation in your, in, in, in your life. You know, that I think the tendency for most of us is to become disillusioned or depressed or just simply say, I just give up on that. You know, I've, I've sort of tried it. It didn't really work. So I'm, I'm just going to walk away from that. But listen, there, there are many people who seem to be able to keep going despite the most difficult and the most challenging of situations. 
It said that Thomas Edison, the guy who invented the light bulb, it said that it took him 2,000 experiments before he eventually found the right filament to be able to create the very first light bulb. When a reporter stops him and asks him the question, how does it, fe- how does it feel to fail so many times? He replied, I didn't fail once. It just happens that to invent the light bulb was a 2,000 step process. Or there's um, Walt Disney. You know what Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper for lack of creativity, so they say, hard to believe. In fact, he, he went bankrupt many times before he eventually built Disney, Disneyland and, and this multi, multi-million pound enterprise and, and business. And actually, did you see the rugby yesterday? Japan versus, yeah, versus South, South Africa. Unbelievable. These guys beat, the, the underdogs come and just do an amazing job in, in, in beating one of, the, one, of the, one of the best teams around. And what all these people and teams have in common is a level of determination and inward resolve to keep going despite setbacks, despite challenges, despite the difficulties that they face, they prepared to keep going despite everything else. So as we come to this book of Nehemiah, we meet another man who is able to keep going when actually many of us would have simply just given up. And as we go through this book, I hope we learn something of the secrets of his success, his success in following God, success in, in stepping out in faith as God leads him. And I guess the big, the big idea of the book of Nehemiah is perhaps summed up in one word, determination. The writers of this book, as he begins, which of course is actually Nehemiah himself, we see that in the very first, first, uh, first verse, he makes an assumption that most of us have some level of understanding of Israel's history, at least leading up to where Nehemiah found himself at the moment. Now, I'm going to assume that your knowledge of Israel's history and biblical history is a little bit like mine, somewhat rusty. So I'm going to just very quickly put five facts together that helps us to understand where we come to in this particular book as we get into the first chapter. The first thing is this. Over a period of history, Israel had been divided into two nations. We've got the northern nation called Israel and the southern nation called Judah. Second fact. In 587 BC, the southern nation of Judah is invaded by the Babylonians, and many of the people are carried off into exile far, far away from home. Thirdly, about two years later, the Babylonians are actually conquered by the kingdom of Persia. Fourth thing, during the reign of the kings of Persia, we find that a number of these exiles begin to make their way back to their homeland. The first group leave in 538 BC. About 60 years later, Ezra leads a second group off. And then we get to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the guy who leads this third wave of exiles back to his homeland. Fifthly, as we begin this book, we start with Nehemiah, in Persia, in the citadel of Susa, 
and he's far, far away from home. So who is Nehemiah? Well, his name means the Lord has comforted. The Lord has comforted. And Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. I guess a modern day butler. Not that many of us have butlers, but if we did, it'd be a modern day butler. He's butler to Artaxerxes Longimanus, otherwise known as the king of Persia, which we'll refer to him from now on because it's just much easier to say. So this king of Persia has this guy, Nehemiah, who's waiting on him. Now this position of Nehemiah is a position of great responsibility. It's of great influence, of great privilege. And, and one of his jobs was to taste the king's food and to drink the king's wine. Not all of it, I'm assuming, but at least to taste it, just to make sure the wine has not been poisoned. But a man who stands this close to the king has got to be handsome, He's got to be cultured. He's got to be well-educated. The fact that he is also a Jew only goes to prove what a man of character and ability Nehemiah really is. But perhaps one of the things that sets Nehemiah apart, perhaps the most significant thing about this man, is here is a man who cares. He cares about people and perhaps this, as much as anything else, is the one thing that just fuels his determination to keep going when things get tough. You know, for nearly a century now, the Jewish people have been trickling back to their homeland. Now, Nehemiah could have gone with them. He's chosen to stay here in Persia, at least for now. But he still cares about his heritage. He cares about his city. He cares about the glory of God. George Bernard Shaw wrote, he says, the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent towards them. That's the essence of inhumanity. And Nehemiah is a man who cares. And for the rest of our time in this talk, I'm just gonna look at that four different aspects about Nehemiah and how he cares for his people, he cares for the city, he cares for God's glory. The first is this, he cared enough to ask. As we've said, Nehemiah could have remained in Persia, Nehemiah could have left Persia already, but he has chosen to stay here. And as it turns out, God has got a word, and in fact, God has got a purpose for him right here purpose in which God could not have used him anywhere else in the world. And God has put Nehemiah here in Susa in exactly the same way that he put Esther here almost a generation before him. I wonder, have you ever asked God, why here? God, why have you put me in this particular town or this particular city or among this particular community or God, why, why have you put me in this particular place of work? Why here, God? And it, and, and it just seems routine. It just doesn't seem to make sense to us. And listen, God always prepares his workers and he gets them in the right place at the right time and then he uses them. For Nehemiah, this is just another very 
ordinary day. He's doing the routine things of his work. His brother comes in, he meets up with his brother. Even that is not particularly extraordinary, but what happens to be a routine meeting with his brother is perhaps this major turning point in Nehemiah's life. Listen, how often do great life-changing moments come from the apparent, just insignificant, those maybe chance meetings or so-called chance meetings in life? We must never underestimate what God can do even through those apparent insignificant conversations with family or friends. And it's so important that you keep your heart open to the Holy Spirit. How is God leading? How is God speaking? Even in the mundane and the routine things of your daily life and your daily home life and whatever, how is God speaking? Listen, God so often breaks through when you least expect it. Of course, Nehemiah is not only keen to hear from God, he is also very keen to find out about his fellow Jews, about his homeland, about the state of his nation. But actually, you know, why does Nehemiah care? He's got everything, surely, in, in Persia. He's got a great job. He's, he's got great resources around him, great food. He, he's well-respected. He, he's, he's a man of, of great influence in this particular area. It certainly wasn't his fault that the nations before him had sinned against God, was it? That got themselves into such a state. But 150 years before this, Nehemiah the prophet writes, in Jeremiah, sorry, Jeremiah the prophet writes in Jeremiah 15 and verse five. He says, who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will stop to ask, how are you? And what Jeremiah is saying is, who is going to care for Jerusalem? Who cares for the city of Jerusalem? Who's gonna care? Listen, Nehemiah was that man who cared. He cared, he did exactly what Jeremiah had prophesied about, he cared, and he cared enough to ask the important questions to find out the facts about the situation that he found, that this nation found himself in. Listen, when you truly care about a situation, about a group of people, about your friends, you will ask the important questions even if it's painful to listen to. And ignorance, it's not really bliss. Just because you don't know something doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't mean it's not true. I guess the refugee crisis in Europe is, is, is probably a prime example of this. For almost a decade now, we've, these, these, the, the, the refugees have been coming in and, and we've only heard about it in, in the last three months. Listen, was the plight and the tragedy of those who've gone before any less than those now? Of course not. And if we choose to close our eyes or turn a blind eye to a situation, it's often the first step to tragedy in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. For Nehemiah, the news is bad. It is devastating. Once the city of Jerusalem was a magnificent city, now it's, now it's just in shambles. Once it was a place of great glory and, and now it's, it's ruined. It's in absolute ruins. But Nehemiah 
cares enough to ask. The second thing, he cares enough to cry. I guess what we laugh at and cry at says a lot about who we are. And if you can laugh at other people's misfortunes and, and difficulties and then cry at your own rather trivial problems, it, it, it shows a lack of character, surely. But also tears and crying is often seen as a, as a mark of our weakness. Yet in Nehemiah's case, surely this is a mark of his strength. It just simply shows how much this man cares. Warren Wisby puts it like this. He says, our tears water the seeds of provision that God has planted on our path. And without our tears, those seeds would never grow and produce fruit. Those seeds would never grow and produce fruit without our tears. Listen, it is God who puts a burden upon a person's heart. Listen, it may be for one of your neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. Maybe a friend at work that you think, I really should invite them along to Alpha and God has just burdened you. It, it, it may be for for the homeless network in Chester. It may be for the refugee crisis. It could be for a city, maybe even for a nation. But listen, God has put a burden within your heart. Do not try to escape from it. Don't try to, to run away from it. If you do, you will lose out on all the blessing that God has got in store for you. And so often, just as in Nehemiah's case, this burden starts with tears. It starts in a broken heart but it ends with rejoicing. So we'll get through the book, we will see what God has done. But listen, if you ignore God, if you turn your back on the, God, on the way God has burdened, you're gonna miss on seeing God's faithfulness, God using you along the way. So for Nehemiah, he spent several days in mourning, in weeping and fasting, and he's praying, and he's thinking, Someone, someone has got to do something about the situation. Third thing, he cared enough to pray. I love listening to people pray. You can, in many ways, you can tell a lot about what they care about and, and actually understanding perhaps of even their, their view of God. And we get the great privilege of listening to many of Nehemiah's prayers throughout this particular book. This is the first of 12 prayers throughout this book. And uh, let's see what kind of man this man Nehemiah was. Well, Nehemiah, right from the very beginning, he is a man who is completely dependent on, on God. Listen, if, it is, if his determination is marked by the way in which he cares, surely the secret to his success is his understanding of who God is and the way he values prayer. We often spend so much time trying to impress men, impress one another, and not enough time in the presence of God. And Nehemiah, as he begins to pray, he prays just as we should pray. In fact, he prays as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And his view of God is a God who is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who is great, the one who is awesome, the one who is truly worthy of our praise. Listen, how do you view God? When you come, you pray to him. How do you view, what's your understanding of who God is? You may be in the middle of a challenge, perhaps it's a beginning of a new um, sort of thing in your life, whether it be off to university like AJ is, or perhaps you're starting a new um, term at school, or, or maybe just even a new job. You need to know, just as Nehemiah knew, that the great power and the great goodness and the great mercy of a great God. See, the God who promises, the God who, who is with us, he says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But I guess the question that we need to ask ourselves, is the God that you worship big enough to handle your problems? Is your view of him big enough to handle your problems? Listen, he is. He is the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who not only brought into existence with a word everything that we see, but he is the one who sustains us. He is the one who keeps us. And, and we can come to him with absolute confidence because he is a God who keeps his promises. But perhaps the biggest part of proportion of Nehemiah's prayer is his devotion to confession of sins. And the God who promises blessing and judgment is a God who also promises forgiveness of sins to everyone who turns back to him in repentance. This was the promise that Nehemiah claimed for himself and for his nation. And he calls on God to remember his promises. This word remember will appear numerous times throughout this book. And Nehemiah cries out to God, God remember what you've promised. God, you're a God of salvation. God, you're a God of mercy. You're a God who is good. You are sovereign. God, remember your promises, Lord. Remember what you've promised, Lord. But as Nehemiah also prays, he identifies himself with those who have gone before him. You'll notice that he prays and he includes himself in the sins of those around him, the sins of his nation, but not even that, the sins of the previous generation as well. Listen, it's so much easy for us to point out to other people and, and point other people's faults out. But Nehemiah, he looks into his own heart. He examines himself and then he cries out to God, we have sinned. Lord, forgive us because we have sinned. In doing that, he identifies with the nations around him. He identifies with his own people. God, we have sinned. Forgive us, Lord. And as we cry out to God to forgive us, listen, we come with confidence, certainly because of Jesus, certainly because of the cross where Jesus took our sin, he took our pain, he took our punishment, he took it all, he dealt with it once and for all on the cross. 
Nehemiah doesn't have the great privilege that we have of knowing the end of the story, of knowing the New Testament, yet he comes to the same God with equal confidence because he knows that God is faithful, a God who keeps his promise, a God who's a God of mercy. Listen, God has not changed throughout the Bible. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we look at Christ and we rejoice in Christ, but Nehemiah was able to rejoice in his God just as we rejoice in our God as well because they are the same one. They have not changed. We give him glory. We give him honor. And this humble prayer comes to a close with an expression of confidence. It began with a confidence in God's power. It speaks of a confidence of God's faithfulness. And then it ends with a confidence that God is going to be able to change the heart of the king to provide everything that is going to be needed. Now bear in mind, Nehemiah can't just simply walk away from his job. It's not a job with the king of Persia. You don't just hand in your notice and just leave a month later. You normally wind up dead in that process. He needs the blessing of the king. In fact, he needs the protection and the um, provision of the king for things to go forward unless he gets royal authority just simply even to get some of the to be able to use the king's forest for some of the material that will be needed this project is dead right before it even begins I wonder how often how often we have our ideas and we come up with this wonderful plan this wonderful project in mind and we put it all together and it's all down on paper and it looks wonderful. And then we remember, I better ask God about this one. So we go to God and we say, God, look at look what we've done, God. Look, look at this wonderful plan we've got together. Lord, just come and please bless this now for us. God, just rubber stamp this. Nehemiah doesn't make that mistake. He first of all sits down and he weeps before God because God has burdened him. He then gets down on his knees and he begins to pray and he spends time in God's presence and he waits on God and as he hears from God and only after that does he then get up and begin to work. Listen, that is the model that we must follow. Leads me to my fourth point is this. He cares enough to volunteer. You know, when God answers prayer, he often starts with the one who's been praying. And as you pray, he works in you and he works through you. And so many times you become the answer to your own prayer. Now that's going to scare a few of you, but it's true. You become the answer to your own prayers. It's while Nehemiah was praying that his burden for Jerusalem grew, that his vision for what needs to be done becomes even clearer. Listen, it's only when you spend time in God's presence, when you hear his voice, the prompting of his Holy Spirit, that then things become, the things begin to get into bounds, that you begin to get along with God's agenda, not your agenda. You begin to hear God's voice and what God's heart is for a situation, and your heart begins to beat with the very heartbeat of God himself. This will always stop us either impatiently running ahead of God or lazily running or lagging behind him. And as you pray, God tells you what to and how to and when to. And yet so often people say, you know what? 
God doesn't speak to me. And certainly there are times when God is quiet. But mostly, we're not listening. Because when we spend time in God's word, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in his presence, not just sort of jumping in and jumping back out, not just sort of grabbing something off and then disappearing into our busy life schedules, when we spend time in his presence, when we wait upon him, when we spend time in his word, when we allow him to just realign our hearts, to realign our minds, to realign ourselves with the will and the purposes of God, then God begins to speak. He begins to shape us. He begins to direct us. Listen, we must learn to minister out of his presence. Out of knowing him. Out of a place of resting in him. A place, resting in God is not a, it's not a, it's not a passive thing. It's active. You wrestle with God. You spend time with him. You talk and you listen and it's an active process, but out of there, then we begin to work. Then we begin to do God's purpose because then we feel and we know the very heart of God for that situation that God has burdened you with. Listen, no matter how you look at the situation, Nehemiah is facing a test of his faith. If he approaches the king at the wrong moment, at the wrong time, king's in a bad mood that day, just gets it slightly wrong, he, he could wind up dead. Is <laughs> that serious? He also is going to have to leave the luxury that he's got used to, this good food. He sacrificed comfort and security for, for the dangers of, of a ruined city. But he knows that God is with him. Why? Because he spent time in God's presence. And that makes all the difference. He's not willing to step out until he knows that God is with him. So how do you keep going? You go with God. We've heard already in the worship, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We go with him, we walk with him, we stay close, we stay close to him. As Moses says, unless God goes with me, I'm not going anywhere. That should be our attitude. We find what's God's heart. We determinedly seek after him. What Nehemiah doesn't know at this moment is that in a few months' time, the walls will be rebuilt, the gates will be restored, and the people will be rejoicing. But listen, this all begins with one person who cared. Just one person who cared. Listen, God is still looking for men and women who care. Who care enough to ask the right questions, to find the facts, the truth in a situation. Who care enough to pray with, with tears streaming down their cheeks, with their hearts broken because God has burdened them for a situation, for a place, for an individual, for a group of people. Who care enough to actually do something about it. So what's God been speaking to you about over the last few weeks, maybe a few months? What's he put on your heart? Maybe to do something within Freedom Church, within one of the different ministries within here. It may be for 
family member, for some friends. And God has just put them on your heart and you just want to, you're praying that they may meet with Jesus, that, that, they, that their situations may change, that maybe healing will break through. But God may have burdened you also for something much greater, much bigger, maybe a nation, maybe a town, maybe church planting, something that's really quite adventurous, seems quite scary. What's God speaking to you about? As we bring this to a close, I just want to, to challenge you. It's only out of his presence, only out of spending time with him that you can really know the heart of God for a situation. As God has burdened you and he's, he's put burdens of very size and he's one of us, what are you going to do about it? going to do about it you can choose just to ignore it and to run away or you can choose to be that man that woman who makes a difference in a small way in a big way but listen you do it in God's way that's the key in his way listen God has got plans for each of your lives no doubt about that why because I know my God God wants to use us for his glory. Will we let him? Will we let him? Let's stand together. Father, we, we acknowledge, Lord, our need of you always. Father, we want to, Lord, just commit these words to you, Lord, and, and Father, anything that is not from you, Lord, I just pray, Father, just be gone, fall to the ground, but Father, I just pray, Lord, as you've been speaking to us, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to, just to minister into our hearts, into our lives. Father, I just pray, Lord, you provoke us, you challenge us, but Lord, you also love and you care for us. Lord, thank you for your gentleness, thank you for your leading. Father, I pray, Lord, just make our, that we would be open to you. Open our hearts, Lord, open and soft hearts for you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious name.